This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Well, hello, mindful listeners. I have to thank you once again for spending part of your day with me. And I got to tell you, I am so excited about this segment. And I know you're going to knock me for saying that about probably each one of my shows. But you know, this whole idea of mindful medicine, right? So I always thought it could mean that we could take a beat and slow down and think about things and breathe a little bit and open up our minds to maybe new ways of seeing things or believing in things or paradigm shifts. There's so much information out there. There's so much uh, misinformation, I should say, out there. Well, I have a guest who has written, this is actually his ninth published book, believe it or not. It is the esteemed Alan Arkin. He has written, uh, not quite a memoir, he says, a book called Out of My Mind, which personally, I'll just say this right now, I feel like his journeys has helped him actually get into and have an incredible mind. But you know him as, you know, starring on Broadway and TV and been in over 60 films and pretty much has won almost every acting award in North America. Um, But this is a book that I read and it blew my mind. So I just don't want to waste any more time. I want to bring him on the show. Alan Arkin, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Holly. Thank you for having me on the show. It is my distinct pleasure. I, um, I, this book moved me in such a way in it's so witty, you know, you, I think there's, there's about 11 chapters where you go through this, through these experiences in your, in your life. Um, and we're going to get into the book because I, I, um, I want to talk about some very distinct pieces um, and, and places in the book where I, I, I felt particularly intrigued and moved. And it was almost like, I have to say, uh, the review that you got, or one of the reviews you got from the New York Times, uh, the gentleman said, I listened to this memoir in one sitting, and when it was finished, I had many questions for Arkin. He left me wanting more, and that's exactly how I felt. But this is your ninth published book. Most people don't know that about you, do they? No, no I... I, I... <laughs> I, uh, to my detriment, I guess I keep a pretty low profile. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't spend a lot of time uh, promoting myself, and uh, it's um, so. I guess that's part of the reason, and uh, I, I don't know what the other reasons would be. Yeah, well, I, I was surprised, and um, it's just uh, your writing and the way that you, you tell your experiences throughout your life, is just so palpable and, and so moving. And I, I have to tell you, the first time that I laughed out loud was in sort of the introduction where you mentioned breathe, but the next thing that you say is that there's no such thing as too much garlic. And it, it was very, <laughs> it was really, it was, um, it was, it was, it was just so moving to me because I actually have been going through some things personally, physically, and I did a food sensitivity test. And I have to be honest with you, this is a true story. I prayed. I said to myself, I. I just hope so much that garlic and onions are not one of those things that come back where I'm to avoid. So when you said there is no such thing as too much garlic, um, it, it got me running and, and, and certainly wanted more. And, and I dove right in. <laughs> oh, you're okay with garlic? Very much. I thought you were spot on. Yeah. So, well, if nothing else, it will keep the vampires away. Exactly. We've got that going. So just on a high level, we talk about sort of what moved you to write this book. Um, out of my mind, because as I said at the top, 
I feel like your experiences in what I know about life helped you develop your own mind. And it's such a beautiful mind at this point in time. Um, as you, you know, as you state in this, almost like the, the last chapter of you finding this sense of renowned purpose and a more loving nature and that you live this day meticulously and the future takes care of itself and that you have almost like this blessed peace. And this is the end of the book, but what prompted you to sort of chronicleize these experiences to lead you to that space? Well, well, well first of all, I, 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 uh, uh, I, those are all things I'm trying for. I wouldn't say that I've achieved them. Uh, I've, yeah. I've certainly, that um, certainly is my effort on a daily basis to to look for peace and to look for uh, to, to look for wisdom, but uh, I I don't want people to think that I've reached the end of the journey. I, first of all, I don't think there is an end to the journey, and uh, and anybody I know with any any degree of wisdom has a very firm recognition of the fact of the there is a there's another mountain past this one to to climb. Uh, but what what got me writing the book was I was taking a series of workshops in uh, Santa Fe on consciousness and meditation and uh, with a wonderful teacher. And uh, this was years ago. And uh, at, at one of the workshops, towards the end of it, I talk about this in the book um, uh, somewhere, he, said, he brought in a bunch of notebooks for people, little notebooks and pencils, and he handed them out. He says, okay, now for the next half hour, he says, I want everybody to write down all the experiences that they've had in their lives that let them know without question that there's more to reality than just this that we see right in front of us. And everybody got very excited. It was a very uh, unusual and creative uh, way to spend part of the, the workshop time. And everybody wrote furiously and wrote all these experiences that they've had down. They were all a pretty conscious bunch of people, and their minds were had been open for some time so that they all had experiences to write down, but bordered on the miraculous. And uh, at the end of it, he said, we thought that we were going to be asked to read them all. And he said, he says, no, he said, I don't want anybody to read. He says, just cut, take the pages out of the notebook fold them up and put them in your wallets or your handbags. And the next time the next time you have a bad day, pull these papers out and look at them. And uh, it was such a glorious uh, way to spend that time. And I put them away, and then I kept them away for, for a significant amount of time. And then I thought, well, I think I may have enough uh, here to write a piece of a book. Uh, about so uh, I did that and I gave it to my agent who was a wonderful woman and uh, here it is uh, it's a small book because I I I, my, I didn't want to I didn't want to pad it I just wanted to put down the things that I absolutely knew or or or, or could vouch for being true and uh, in the hopes that they might inspire other people to examine their own paths and come up with their own uh, their own little miracles that they experienced, things that they might have put away and thought of it was a fantasy. I know when I talk to people about this kind of thing, a lot of people will poo-poo the ideas initially, and then as time goes on, I, if I talk more about this, I say, yeah, well, wait a minute. I had an experience when I was 12 that I met. Everybody comes up with something, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's inspiring 
for me to to talk to people and just to try and nudge their memories a little bit about what uh, about the miracles that have occurred in their life lives. Um, yeah, you. It's a very ex- experiential book because as I've gone, as I as I went through it, um, not only your experiences that you were able to capture in, in writing this book and in these different sections, but it's almost like the emotions that were evoked. Like, I want to go back to um, one of the the parts of the book where you talk about it was the CBS special on concentration camps and the actors and the survivors and that interaction because I don't think you said this word but the word that came up for me when I was reading that particular piece is empathy I felt like there was this incredibly deep sense of human empathy that could not be ignored denied or anything else from these actors could you talk a little bit about that yeah well it was a uh, it was a three-hour special for CBS uh, there was one of the major events for the year. I forget what year it was. It was about 25, 30 years ago. And uh, it, was, it was about a, an escape from a concentration camp that had gone unnoticed and unrecorded un- for a long, long time. And at, at the, um, at the, when we shot it, which was in Yugoslavia, we brought a half a dozen people who had been in the camps that were survivors of the experience, and uh, they watched and monitored the entire monitored the entire proceedings, and it was all true. It was all true, and we were reenacting a lot of us the stories of these people who were right in front of us, which was kind of an amazing experience, uh, devastating, and the, the 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 stories that we were telling were so so incredibly heart-wrenching and devastating that uh, it it didn't fail to open up everybody connected with the experience it was just uh it, it was impossible to uh, to not feel em- empathetic em- empathetic um and almost on a daily basis one or another of the actors was just start sobbing and uncontrollable mm. sobs, like would go on for minutes and minutes and minutes and then the the rest of the cast would kind of just um, huddle around them and hold them and, and comfort them and interestingly it was never during a time when they had a scene to do it they would everybody uh, everybody who had this experience of just falling apart would do it when somebody else's scene was being done. I guess it was a self-protective uh, way of g- getting through the work period. Uh, it, yeah, it was it was really extraordinary. But the the, the uh, and and the, one of the things that happened that was uh, uh, heart wrenching was that one of the uh, one of the people who had been in the camps on the day where we did the escape, this mass escape from the camp. He he forgot where he was. He forgot who he was, and he joined the escape. And he, he ran off into the woods from this camp that we had constructed. And we couldn't find him for for the rest of the day. Uh, he, he forgot. Where, wow. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you don't forget. I, I guess it probably yeah. isn't enough time to talk about the the uh, experience with the woman that uh, that was so radiant there. 
But that's one of the highlights Esther. of the book. A lot of, lot of people talk about that, that horror experience in the book. Those people in the camps were, I've met a bunch of them, and they all tend to be kind of gray and have given up something in their lives in order to survive the memories. But this lady was filled with joy. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't, she was a quiet woman, but she would sit there and look, look at what was going on. And she would yeah. be smiling and happy yeah. and filled, filled with a sense of joy and a kind of radiant light around her. And uh, she, she was watching this nightmare that she had been privy to from about 30, 35 years earlier. And uh, I, 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 uh, I I wonder what our story is, and and one of the major stories in the book is the story of of what who she was, yeah. what happened to her, and how she managed to maintain this uh, this demeanor, this uh, this sense of peace and joy in her life, and uh, it was li- a life changing. Yeah, experience. you grilled her almost. I I believe that you call her Esther in the book, and it was her. Yeah, yeah her that's her, her genuine her like nonstop all the time, 360 positivity, and that deep belief in the Almighty that she said that she never gave up, she couldn't afford to. And you said it was an extraordinary lesson for you. She could. Yeah. Yeah, she she had the awareness somewhere in her consciousness that if she, if she, if she gave it up for a second, what was in front of her in the camps would have been so devastating that it would have been like a a rushing torrent uh, to fill that little hole in, in, in our doubt, and uh, and you can never climb out again. But so she didn't let go for a second, and then, and it not only saved her miraculously, but uh, allowed her to have a a, a wonderful yeah. life. Afterwards. So speaking about letting go, um, because this book is riddled with all sorts of astounding lessons and just thought-provoking experiences through the journey of your life, which I appreciate you sharing. Um, I want to talk about your your experience with tennis and letting go and what that brought you, because this story moved me almost like no other. Um, <laughs> and I, because I... I it's almost like I love that you get to a place in your journey because, you know, you mentioned your teachers, uh, the, the the one teacher that actually almost provoked this book. I think his name was Lee. And then, of course, there was John. Um, but, you know, it, it, feel, it seems like you get to this point and you've learned so much that you're like, could almost think, okay, I've arrived, right? I've arrived. But throughout the book, what I experienced about you and probably to this day, which you said at the top of the show you continually empty your cup. You know, it's it's never too full to learn something new. It's never too full to understand something different. It's never too full to take in a new perspective. But this story about tennis, when you moved to LA um, and ran into the bowling alley <laughs> by accident, <laughs> um, and the story of letting go, let's talk about that one a little bit. Okay. Uh... Well, I had been studying uh, with a with a teacher consciousness and and uh, yoga and Eastern philosophy and uh, medita- a lot of meditation and I had been studying with a teacher for a long time and I had a at that point I was living in Westchester, New York and I, I had a tennis court and uh, I I loved the game. In fact, I'm a, I'm an old man now and I don't miss much, but I miss tennis terribly. 
I loved tennis. I was never great at it, but I, I, I loved it. I just loved to play. I loved the sound of the racket when, it, when you hit the ball correctly. Uh, and my teacher, John, he, he did not approve of, of my playing tennis. He says it brings out competitiveness. And I thought about it for a while. And I said, well, first of all, it's the only exercise I really enjoy. Uh, and I could stay out there for hours and never feel uh, tired or bored. And the second thing is, I said, if I am, if I, I do have a problem with being jealous and uh, competitive, where better to find that litmus paper except but the tennis court? I said, it'll tell me immediately when I'm feeling those things. I, I'm a, I was fairly aware of uh, when I was feeling stuff and what I was feeling I, through therapy and uh, my my training as an actor. So the, the life of feelings was not foreign to me. So I said, I'm not going to give it up. It wasn't a, an order or anything like that, but I said, I, I can't give it up. Uh, during that time, I had a friend uh, whose name was Mark, and he was a <laughs> he was a really good tennis player. He had been a pro in in in, uh, in college, and had uh, had been a pro at a couple of tennis clubs. So he knew what he was doing, and he had no. Yeah, you mentioned that he thought. You were just a substitute for a ball machine when yeah, you played he, with him. <laughs> yeah, he had no sympathy, he had no pity, he had no interest in having a nice rally. <laughs> he was on the court to win and kill people. <laughs> and it rankled me. Yeah. It, it really started rankling me. And I got so angry at myself for how rankled I was that, I, that it frustrated me and I wanted to play more and more with him to find out what the source of it was. And I kept playing with him, and I kept playing the best I knew how to play, and he would just keep killing me, just killing me mercilessly without any joy, without any sense of fun. And I just got angry and, and more and more frustrated. And, and this went on for weeks and weeks and months, and I finally said in despair to myself, he was going to come over later that morning, I think it was a Saturday morning, he was going to come over, and I said, okay. I said, this is impossible. I said, I'm losing this battle. I'm, I'm losing headway on my consciousness uh, efforts. Uh, um, this is it's a nightmare. I said, I'm just going to, he's going to come over. He says, I'm going to help him beat me. I'm going to just, I'm just going to try to hit it exactly where he is and then place the ball <laughs> in a place that he can just wham it back and just kill me. I said, I give up. I'm going, to, I'm going to treat myself like a beaten dog and just lie there on my back with my paws up in the air and um, and let this take its course. I said, maybe I can get past it this way. And I, he came over, and we we had a drink, and we, we, we went out the court and hit a few practice shots. And I maintained this attitude for about 45 minutes. And for 45 minutes, he could not win one shot. All, my entire effort was not to win, not to be as good as him, not to be better, not to compete in any way, but to help him have the best game he, I could give him. And for 45 minutes, I could not miss one shot. And it was so exhilarating and, and actually frightening for me that my, I threw my back out. I think it was an emotional reaction right. to, uh, to the... Um, to, to, the, to the experience and and uh, at that point the game was over but I felt like it was a major victory and a major 
major lesson, major, major lesson that, that, uh, that filtered into every single aspect of my life. And I think everybody else's life too. I think we're all the same in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, I think you mentioned in the book that basically that experience was that you were going for what is needed, not for what you wanted. Exactly. Yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it it was just a great illustration of that. Yeah. Going into a situation, what does this situation need? How does my, how can my presence mm-hmm. enhance this situation in some way? Not for me, but for everybody here. Uh, takes away an enormous amount of pressure. It makes everybody more comfortable, and then it ends up you end up making friends instead of enemies. Um, uh, it, it's, there's several things that are so easy to do that most people forget about. A lot of people forget about that is so easy if you put into practice, uh, uh, like just being, being pleasant to somebody at a checkout counter, uh, asking somebody how they are. Uh, it, it changes their relationship with you completely. Uh, it takes no, almost no effort whatsoever. Little things like that make an enormous difference in people's lives. I, I mean, I know when a, just when a when a when a waitress or somebody in the market smiles at me and actually wants to be there doing what they're doing, it changes your your whole uh, consciousness yeah. for sometimes the rest of the day. Yeah, you know it is true. It's when when you were talking about your decades of work with John, and then you were mentioning, you know, the sense of gratitude for all of the lessons, and then that there are no all-encompassing allegiance, that you had this softness around you for information coming in and you being able to process it and experience it, and that these sharp, hard lines sometimes that we draw as humans, um, kind of like we can see in our world right now, that limit our consciousness, you know, but I was thinking to myself, but gosh, we, we love it, this tribal warfare sometimes, we love it. It's like, it's almost like I got to get my tribe and there's there's strength if somebody agrees with me and it's like it's so this so hard thing and the thought that came to me when I was reading through this piece because you've mentioned teachers and I I know that you've had many and and you mentioned gurus but I thought Alan became his own guru and this was let let led me to be like you know your mind because you know we all have brains right but it's like, can we use our mind? How can we use our mind? And that's that's what kind of came to me, that through all of these things, and you, you mentioned too, there's no teachers with a capital T. You know, that there's like divinity in doing dishes, that it is honestly those yeah. small things that count so much if you're, if you're softer, if there's not an allegiance, if you're open. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And through your wisdom and age, it, I, I think that... Um, you do it as an example and you do it through your writing, but it made me laugh too when you said when you were first working with John and you had all of these breakthroughs, you couldn't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at keeping quiet about most of it these days until until I, I made the mistake of writing this book and now I have now I, yeah. <laughs> uh, And now I'm yeah. poking at you, poking at you to try to get you to You know, I, would, I wouldn't go so far... I wouldn't go so far as to say I become my own own guru. I, I to me at this point in my in my life and whatever development I've got, it's dangerous. I there are still people I check in with. I, I I feel like everybody needs somebody there to check in with and say, "Do you think I'm going crazy?" 
uh, I'm going to try this. Does it sound sane to you, or am I going off the deep end? There's got to be everybody needs somebody that they can trust, they can tell them. Uh, that, and I have, well, I have my wife, uh, and I have about two or three other people in my life that I check in with a lot to find out if, uh, am I losing it or, or, or um, am I still okay? I, I, uh, it would be dangerous for me now, maybe always, not to have somebody to refer to and check in with. Uh, I, I can't foresee a time when that, that won't be uh, crucial for me. Uh, sure. Have, um, sure. Well, maybe I should say you became a guru with a group, but because uh, it did seem like you started to formulate almost your independence in um, the dependence of a teacher that you started to incorporate and then 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 starting to teach, you know, in, in, in the way that you live, which I loved. And I, I kind of want to pivot off of this and, you know, talk about the fact that you say, quite honestly, you know, hey, I wonder if I have these healing powers. And no, I'm not a healer. But I want to talk about the experience, two experiences you talk about with your youngest son, yeah. Tony. Holly, may I, no, so, um, somebody, I, something I didn't find out. From the, what kind of a doctor are you? Do you mind my asking? Yeah, a darn good one. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you an MD? I am an ND, as in naturopathic doctor. Uh -huh. So I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor Wonderful. here in California. Oh, here in California. Wonderful. Where, where in California? Los Angeles. You're in LA. Yeah, I am. Well, wonderful. Yeah. Good to yeah. you. <laughs> wonderful. That's where I'm at. And uh, I've had a really lovely run as uh, a private practice for 20 years. And, uh, you know, the philosophy of naturopathic medicine, even though we're trained uh, very similar to conventional doctors, but the philosophy is just different, like identify and treat the cause and treat the whole person and respect the healing power of nature. I call it more comprehensive common sense medicine and just um, there is a place and time for everything and I certainly adore and love conventional allopathic medicine as, as well as other systems of medicine, but yes, that's that's how I was trained. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm happy to hear it. Uh, yeah, thank you. So yeah, I, about your youngest son, Tony, um, you, you mentioned a couple things when he was sick and also with the sunburn. Um, I had a, I sort of have, I had a real deep emotion about reading that part of your book. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I had heard, it's interesting how uh, I was thinking before we started talking that uh, things come up in your life depending on whether you, how much you're thinking about it. Like, I, I think there's an old aphorism said, when a shoemaker goes to a party, he looks at people's shoes, uh, you, you tune into what you're, what you think about uh, and it things it's like tuning a radio dial things start appearing b b in front of you in your in your life when you start thinking about them and not out of fear but out of interest and i i was thinking about healing i've, I've thought about i've thought about that for a long time i've seen people do things like that i have a whole section in the book that talks about a trip i took to brazil watching a healer work uh, and uh, uh, I, my son Tony, my youngest son, got, got very sick. He was about, I guess, five or six at the time. He got very sick with a very high fever, and I could never stand seeing him sick because he was very stoic about it and didn't didn't uh, give in to it. He was very gently. He just uh, suffered in a way that was just very hard for me. And uh, watching him go through this for 
few few days and nothing helping him. I just said to him, this was in my consciousness. I had no sense. It was it wasn't something that was given to me. I didn't feel like it was a message from somewhere. But I just uh, I said I just I went to where he was lying in bed. And I said, Tony, give me this sickness. Give it to me. And somehow he didn't question it. He didn't look at me like I was crazy. And I put my hands on his chest, one above the other, one on his upper chest near his heart, and one towards his solar plexus. And I just kneeled over him, and I just stayed there for about three or four minutes. And after about three or four minutes, we stood there. We just were there with each other silently. I felt this... uh, uh, it felt, I don't know why I say this, I can't describe it any better than this, but it felt like a negative force, uh, uh, like a thousand volts of, like being hit with a cattle prod, threw me across the room, uh, about 10 feet, about 10, 12 feet across the room and into the wall. I crashed into the wall and I felt this, this, uh, this negative energy in my system for about couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. Um, and then it was gone, and I felt fine. I went over to Tony, and his, the fever was gone, and he, he, was, uh, he was okay. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I, I got all excited, saying to myself, wait, maybe I'm a healer. Maybe I can do this. But it only happened one other time, and I tried it other times, and I, I was never able to, to bring it forth again. So... Uh, there was one more way I couldn't uh, become an egomaniac. <laughs> I don't think there's any risk in that happening at this point in time, Alan. I really don't. <laughs> well, it's one one more thing I try to be careful of, about. You, you seem like you uh, live a very lovely and conscious life. And I think that, I know healer is a strong word because I've always... I've always personally never wanted to take credit for anybody's healing. Like I've always wanted to just be in assistance with any other force that was around, whether, you know, whatever we want to call it. And, and certainly the person whose body or mind. Or, That's a good attitude. Yeah, I like that attitude. Never, ever wanted to say that I heal somebody or I treat somebody. It's like, I care for them. I work with them. You know, that, that has always been more of my, yeah. my piece. But so I want to just remind the listeners, we are talking to the amazing Alan Arkin, and his ninth published book, Out of My Mind, Not Quite a Memoir, is such a lovely read. I sat down, I couldn't put it down. You can get it on Audible, you can get it anywhere. But what I want to ask you, because I think you mentioned it in the book, is what do you say to your wife when she asks you, what are your plans for the day? What's happened? What's happened over the years is, is that I, I, as a result of med- so, so much meditating for fifty years now, I've been meditating, and she has too. Is that I, I've, I have some, there's some kind of distance that's taking place between this walking around me and some other me that exists in a better, in a bigger place, and the the more I listen to that other me that's bigger the happier i am and the and the more at peace i am and the more easily events occur within me and around me but what one of the things that happened is i can't plan things anymore i, I just mm. it's not that i've decided <laughs> i'm not going to do it i said i just I, I can't do it i don't know why it's happened 
and I don't know how it's happened. Like when I wake up in the morning and I start doing things, I, I find myself saying, oh, that's what I'm, that's, that's, this is what I'm doing. And uh, I see what I was going to do this day and I start doing it. But uh, it's, it's a, a few years ago, Suzanne would ask me, what are you going to do today? I said, I don't have the vaguest idea. I got to wait and see what my body tells me I'm, I'm walking towards. And yeah. at first, I think it was a little bit frustrating for her, but she's reached the point where she's doing exactly the same thing now. So we, we're both living in that, in that uh, as much as we can, in that state where every, every moment of the day is a, is a, is a journey of discovery. Uh, and it's, a, it's an exciting way to live. Uh, it is beautiful. Um, and other tidbits that I got from the book, just that disillusionment is good, growth is accompanied by loss. And I love the way, you know, because obviously you've taken on a path to educate yourself. But if you look at the word educate from a Latin perspective, educate, so to draw out. So we as humans have this information inside of us. And to draw that out throughout the experiences and being and you know, being conscious um, is a, you, you have demonstrated it's a beautiful way to live. And uh, even though, you know, I think we're very careful around the word healer and healing, I think anybody who picks up this book, um, who has so many projections about you that will you be blown out of the water is just going to be moved in the way of a uh, beautiful healing. And, you know, he here's what it is. I think that we're in such a need to take care of ourselves in a way, in such a way that we can help then take care of others, because I think the world is crying for it. And I think your book and your dog in the background does exactly that. No, that's my wife chopping things. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Oh gosh, I'm well. I'm so I'm so happy you just didn't tell me that that was your wife, because then I would have been really embarrassed. <laughs> I would have. Been. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to the other room because I'll get away from the channel. No, no, because we're about to wrap up here, Alan. I just want to give you the last word. I feel like I've been talking way too much. Um, no, please, no, it's, it, it's, yeah, I, I, it's wonderful hearing what you have to say. You, I, I, uh, I admire what what you stand for. And uh, if I was in L.A., I'd come and see you when I needed a doctor. You bet. Anytime you can, you can get a hold of me. Um, so yeah, but I really do want to give you, I want to give you the last word um, about this book, about your, your, your honing of your intuition, about the way, about anything that you want to say. It's all you. Oh my God. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I have a, I don't feel like I have much of an agenda I want to, uh, I want to uh, promote. Except, I mean, what comes to mind is, is the Dalai Lama's, um, prescription for everybody in the world, uh, and he says, "Be kind." Uh, yeah. They ask him what his religion is, and he says, "Kindness is my religion." And yeah. I think if we just, if we would just, more of us could just adopt that simple idea in our, in our daily lives, a lot of this extraordinary uh, um, distemper we're we're experiencing in this culture now would would diminish to a, a, a large extent kindness yeah. patience kindness well mindful yeah. listeners we're going to leave it right there alan arkin it has been my esteemed pleasure to have you on my show thank you so much well, for hi, I'm, your I'm, breadth of I'm, work this has, been, 
It's been delightful. I'm so happy to talk to you. So happy to have you. All right, Mindful listeners, we're going to see you next time. Thanks so much.